you're listening to a Two Jackets podcast. Check out more at twojackets.com. Welcome to Sham Fiction, the podcast where we break the first rule of fan fiction, that you have to be a fan to write it. We're Two Jackets Productions. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. And I'm Marcus. Here's the format. Each installment, Andrew, Eric, or Marcus will be presented with a media franchise that they are unfamiliar with and challenged to write fan fiction about it. We'll start by giving the author some basics, like characters, overarching plots, and those special elements that make each franchise great. The author will then take this info, throw out what they don't like, add a generous helping of creative license, and come back ready to read their masterpiece for all of us to enjoy. It's fan fiction written by non-fans. It's sham fiction. This week's author is Marcus. All right, guys. Marcus is talking to you, asking you not only why is he talking in the third person, but what is he writing today? (laughs) Allow allow Eric to tell you, Marcus, you are going to be taking a step back in time to the year 1912. Like King Arthur? Uh, <laughs> no. Uh, all right, let's. We're, we're gonna. Ch- we gotta start right. with a history lesson. Let's do yeah. a history lesson first. Uh, we are talking about Downton Abbey, the hit British TV historical melodrama, Downton Abbey, loved by millions, adored oh. by myself, and especially and by Andrew Neil. I oh, love man. it so much. <laughs> oh my goodness, this is. This is a delight. It's a good. It's going to be a good one. So, Downton Abbey. Let me just take a step back here. It was created by a fella named Julian Fellows. And not only was it created by a fella named Julian Fellows, it was written almost entirely by him. Almost entirely by Julian Fellows. It's really uh, impressive. Like, I only... Like, this has been on for six seasons now. Six series, excuse me, it's British. Uh, yep, uh, yep. And he's written, like, every single episode, save two. There are two episodes in the first season that are written by uh, Tina Pepler and uh, 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 Shayla Stevenson. It's you, Shayla. You nailed it. You nailed it, yep. Thank uh, you. I'm glad they, you didn't say that They each wrote an episode, and then I guess he decided that... He didn't like how they wrote, and he wrote everything from that point forward. But anyway. Straight sorkin' uh, it. Uh-huh. This uh, is a show that uh, came out in 2010 in the UK and uh, 2011 in the US. You can check it out on PBS yeah. in this country. Uh, but it's also available right now to stream on Amazon Prime. So it's free if you have Amazon Prime, uh, which is fantastic. It's As lovely. I mentioned, it's a historical drama. And, uh, and Andrew Neal, please tell me, why are you such a big fan of this? I don't know. Like, <laughs> I, no, honestly, no, 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 and I don't say that as a negative towards it. It's just, I love it. I love historical drama. I'm a huge fan. Like, if there is a, like a, a costume piece drama coming out, like Pride and Prejudice, I love the movie Pride and Prejudice. I love stories like that. <laughs> so I don't know what about them draws me to him but this show is that you know it is aristocracy in you know historic england and i am just all over that and it does it so well every Uh, character is so well created and there's so many of them (laughs) there's so many it's Uh, the best i can't get over it eric what, 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 what drew you to it you know it's it's 
it's hard to explain because on the it's easy to make fun of. On the outside, Downton Abbey is just this costume drama about uh, rich people living in a house and the maids and butlers who serve them. That is that is it on the outside. And you look at that as a as a masculine man like we all pretend to be, and you're just yeah. like, oh, what's that? What's that sort of crap? That's, that, that looks that like girl no girl good. TV. Uh, I'm not a I'm not a woman. Not for but me. It's amazing. It's so good it's it's this pure drama like the only reason it's good is because there are so many characters and they all have their own agendas and their own secrets and their own uh uh alliances and everything and just just the sheer volume makes such good stories it's just straight up this person loves that person, but that person loves another person, but this one person wants to kill this person, oh, no. and so on and so forth. And it's just, it's just, oh, eat it up. It's like a soap opera. It's amazing. But, you know, actually well-written. <laughs> anyway. Moving on. Marcus, do you know anything about Downton Abbey? I've seen the uh, parody show Another Period on the Comedy Central. Yeah. Oh, Nice. Uh, that's a fun show. So I think that's somewhat based on the kind of Real Housewives version of reality <laughs> TV, Downton Abbey. Uh, but no, I, I really know nothing about it other than uh, Professor McGonagall's in it. You got yeah. that right. She is She's hella awesome. in this. Yeah, so that's that's exciting. But uh, tell me what she does. Does she do magic? Oh, no, 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 no. No, sir. We'll, we'll get a, to her. A, it's a little bit of magic, just in the performance, you know. Oh, that's a good She's, point. She's, Maggie Smith is magic. Oh, yes. So, uh, the setting. Uh, I've already mentioned uh, 1912. It's set in the, uh, the fictional town of Downton, which is in the county Grantham, which is in Yorkshire. So, this is uh, uh, southern UK? Yep, it's southern Southern England. Great Britain. Mm-hmm. Um, Downton Abbey is the name of the house uh, that is referred to exclusively as Downton. I don't know where the Abbey comes from. I've asked around. Nobody seems to know. I don't think they ever say it outright, so I'm not sure. Somebody out there knows who's listening. They're very angry. Oh, but the I don't files know it, in so the audience. you don't get to know it. Uh, so it takes place in Downton, which is the seat of the Earl of Grantham. The Earl of Grantham. He's the head of the house. The head of the house uh, a man by the name of Robert Crawley is the Earl of Grantham. Robert Crawley. Yep, he's Papa Bear. He's, he's Papa the, Bear. Uh, he's the and dad. And the, the story is about him, his family, which is his wife, his daughters, his mother, uh, and the people that serve them. And the people that kind of orbit in their circles, the the uh, aristocracy, the uh, the other counts and dukes and earls that come visiting, and all the drama that happens, uh, it's it's what what can you say? It's like about you know uh, marriages and uh, children and all the things that important yeah, families like have lineage, to think you know, about, and 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 you know what you're passing down. So. Let's let's get a, a bit into like the specific plot that kind of kicks this off. So, like Eric said, um, the Titanic sinks, and it turns out that the heirs to the Downton estate were on board, and they died on board the ship. Oh no! So this news <laughs> reaches Lord Grantham, and he's like, "Oh goodness, what are we gonna do? Who's next in line?" Because these guys were already like cousins, so 
it was already kind of a stretch because unfortunately Lord Grantham has only daughters and at this point women can't inherit so um, they have to find somebody else who's in the family to inherit the estate and they find Matthew Crawley cousin Matthew cousin Matthew who is the third cousin to Robert and the I believe old- once removed yeah, no, it's pretty distant. Like, this guy did not know anything about this. Um, and so, yeah, so Matthew is the only living heir, but he has grown up and lived outside of this lifestyle. He is a lawyer. Um, that's how he makes his living. He does not live in the aristocracy. He's, I think, pretty middle class from what we uh, what we gather before the events of the, uh, the show. Um, but he is under pressure now to marry... Uh, Lady Mary, who is the <laughs> eldest Grantham daughter, or Crawley daughter, I should say. Um, but Mary's resistant, because she was, you know, about to get married to this other cousin, too, before he died. <laughs> and I know it's weird to There's say, like, of, oh god, they're marrying cousins, this sounds terrible. Uh, but they're distant cousins, so maybe that makes it a little bit better. I, think, I don't know. Eric, what, what's going on? So there's a, a complication. So the reason that they're trying to pressure Mary into marrying uh, Cousin Matthew is because due to uh, some legality, uh, the fortune, the Crawley fortune, is tied up in the estate. And if the uh, estate goes to Cousin Matthew... Uh, Mary and the other daughters will be totally left out. They won't get anything. They'll basically have to move out of Downton. They won't get a dime. It's terrible. Because you see, uh, the Earl himself, Robert, he is, he originally didn't have any money. They, they had lands and titles, but no money, no cash. So in order to leave this way back before the events of this, he married, uh, his now wife, Cora, who is an American heiress, he married her for money to uh, add her fortune to the Crawley estate. And uh, and they eventually, after they got married, they fell in love. They're a wonderful couple. Yeah, um, they say outright that um, when he they got married, they were not in love, but a year later they were. So there's at this point in the story... They're very much in love, and they're lovely people together. So they want their kids to have a good life. Um, they don't want to have to uh, break up the estate. They don't want their their children to be left with nothing. So the only way to keep Downton secure uh, and to keep the fortune in place is for Mary to marry Matthew. There's so much pressure riding on that. And they don't uh, exactly get along right away when they meet do them andrew neil no because matthew again he's kind of from a middle class family you know his um, i mean as far as this goes his his dad was a doctor his mom was a nurse and he is now a lawyer so he comes to this place and he's like whoa now people serving me no thank you get a real job people like seriously he is not into it so he looks down on these people and they look down on him back because he doesn't live this way so there is this conflict of um the where they come from yeah he uh he is assigned a valet 
a person who uh, basically helps dress him and takes care of his his quarters and his home and uh, his wardrobe and for a while is just completely shunning this guy and thinking that his profession is a joke because he can, he's a grown-ass man. He can dress himself. And he just he completely looks down on this lifestyle. And now he is in a position where he is basically going to be inheriting this title and he has to live up to this uh, this lifestyle, but it also means he has to learn how to accept all these these uh, extra people around him who take care of his home and clean and cook and serve and buttle and all those things. <laughs> it's a real word. Yeah. So in terms of, like the conflict and like the, the in the in the air is just trying to secure Downton and the estate. It's you know Robert and the family cares very deeply about the house. And it extends beyond the house to the grounds, to the farms nearby, to the town itself. It's all of it. It's all considered Downton. And that what that it's what Robert has spent his life trying to keep up. That's what he's using Cora's family's money to do, um, is in order to keep this way of life and this area alive and thriving. And now they have this outsider coming in who hopefully will inherit and they hopefully hopefully he's not a weirdo or anything like that (laughs) um and it's just this conflict that comes between matthew and his way of life and trying to join this new way of life and kind of meet in the middle so this the the stories in this show um jump around between two main areas of the house we have the upstairs story, which follows the family and the uh, the aristocracy, and then the downstairs story, which follows all the servants. And the shows are set up uh, in a way that jump back and forth. The events that affect the family also affect the downstairs folks, um, and it's just this interplay between drama upstairs that that trickles down into drama downstairs, drama downstairs that trickles upstairs. It's just this fantastic interplay because you have uh, what is I would guess somewhere around thirty people that live in this house, working and living in this one giant mansion, basically. Yeah, and I would say twenty of those people are featured characters. I mean, every <laughs> once in a while you see a random. Uh, maid or you know cook, yeah. cook that we don't know their name or anything, but for the most part, we know most people in the house. Yeah. So before we start getting into like characters and some of these relationships and roles, or, do you have any questions at this point, Marcus? Anything that's you need some clarity on? Yeah. So two questions so far that have come up. Uh, one is why is Matt doing this? What is he going to get out of? coming in and getting this estate if he's already happy as a lawyer see this is the thing it's not a choice it's really not it's it's uh he is the the heir apparent to the title the earldom and that is he is means that he will become a lord and so that so is he, just responsibility wouldn't matter yeah. where he is he would just be the lord well, dr it, matt uh, Essentially, he'd have to give up his current lifestyle, even though he's happy. But, I mean, you can't really turn it down because you're talking about a life of fortune and luxury that he could never afford as a doctor. Right. So it's it's more thrust upon him. Oh, right. He's a lawyer. He's, he's yeah. a lawyer. His father was a doctor. That's right. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, yeah, that is why. 
yet another question? Uh, so, yeah, that was just the... You answered the other question, which is what happens oh. if he doesn't inherit? Like, does the state get the land back? Um, but I guess I, there's no alternative. He's going to inherit. Yeah. I don't know, Andrew. Do you? Is that even an option that's ever brought up? It's never brought up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just, it's given. When, uh, when Matthew finds out, like, he gets a note from Robert, uh, and when... Matthew's mother inquires as to, oh, what does he want? He simply says, he wants to change our lives. That's it. That's it. You know, we don't really see any, ah, maybe I won't go. No, they go straight away. Of course they're going to go. Oh, so so the mother and father of Matthew go as well? Uh, So the mother does, father's dead. Oh, okay. So uh, Matthew's mother is in the story, um... She's fun, but I don't know if she's going to play. She's kind of a sideline character. All right. Let's hear some characters, then. Let's hear some situation. What am All I going right, to start? Let's start upstairs. We're, we'll kind of run through a bunch of people, but we'll try to be brief on the details. We'll tell you the people who we actually like. Yeah. So, first of all, we've already talked about him. Uh, Lord Robert Crawley, the Earl of Grantham. He is a good man. First and foremost, he's a man of privilege, but he is a man who knows that he has a great responsibility and is very capable. He has a kind heart. He's just good all around. Everything he does is for the good of others, and he's not selfish in any way. He's too good to be true, especially for an aristocrat. Uh, His wife, uh, Lady Cora... Uh, we kind of mentioned she's uh, she's the heiress. She's also a very good person. They're a wonderful couple. Um, she kind of does a lot of wrangling in the house of the daughters, who have their own dynamics, and she's she's just kind of a boss. She's she's in always charge. the voice of reason. She's very level headed because Robert can get very um, riled up too, very passionate about it, and she's usually the one that calms him down. Very much so. Yeah, she is the she is the steady one for sure. Uh, So we have the daughters, uh, starting with the eldest. We have Mary, as we've talked about. She is the one that everything's riding on in this story, yet she's not exactly uh, the most up to it because she is selfish. She's sassy. She says at one point in a later episode um, in the first season, I'd never marry any man I was told to. (laughs) So she is somebody who follows her own heart and not the person you want to be in this position where everything uh, with the estate and the fortune rides on her doing something that is expected of her. The next daughter is Edith. Edith is the forgotten middle child. (laughs) She is sad. (laughs) She's kind of a sad sack. She has this bitter rivalry with Mary because Mary gets all the attention as the eldest, and suitors are lining up at the door, literally, to to yeah. uh, try to win over the eldest daughter of Lord Grantham. And she's jealous, because she's, uh, she's a little bit more plain than Mary. Mary's gorgeous, and Edith is not as gorgeous, and she knows it, and it makes her very sad. So, <laughs> at, in a re- and kind of petty too. <laughs> yeah. Like she's like Edith is, even though she's a character and she's definitely in a in a tough spot, she also doesn't make it very easy on herself because she's constantly at ons at, at Mary's throat with everything, just uh, jumping on everything that Mary says. For sure. Yeah, she is sassy right back to Mary, uh, and she gets kind of nasty. She's contemptuous and 
does some some very bad things in order to ruin prospects for Mary. Uh, our last daughter is Sybil. Lady Sybil! Lady Sybil. She's the youngest. She is, at this point, I think she must be like 16 or 17 or something, because she's a, she's a debutante. So mm-hmm. she, this is her first season, as it were. This is when they start showing her off, and she kind of becomes the latest prospect for marriage and everything. But she is definitely the most intelligent uh, of the sisters. Uh, she is the most book-learned she is political, she has opinions, and she believes in uh, women's rights. So she's a, a great character to kind of play off some of these old-timey expectations that, yeah, uh, that of, are placed on all, women. Of all the family, she is definitely the most forward-thinking. Um, Mary, I, I mean, all the daughters are a little bit like that, but Sybil is by far the most. Andrew, tell me about the Dowager Countess. Oh my goodness. <laughs> so this is this is uh, Maggie Smith's character, the Dowager Countess, and she is the best. <laughs> she doesn't give a bleep about anything. She is blunt. She says what's on her mind. She is also, but she's incredibly intelligent. She is always kind of this puppet master behind everything because she can see everything. She's been in the game for a while. But yeah, she's the- uh, she's uh, Robert's mother, by the way. Oh, oh yes, the the lady the the lady Grantham, now referred to as the Dowager Countess. Yes, so she's kind of the the the. So yeah, her husband died. Robert's father died and now she doesn't have again because she's a woman doesn't have doesn't have control so she gets stuck in a different house still a big house but she doesn't <laughs> she live hang out in downton downton she, she hangs, hangs out, out. Da- she's she's in down like every night for dinner but she doesn't live at downton oh that's cold <laughs> that's the way it is that's the way it goes it's robert's house don't want mom around mm-hmm. um so the favorite thing one of my favorite things about the dowager is that she hates technology she hates (laughs) everything to do with the future so anytime something new is introduced she's just like oh what is this you know it's like it's the best (laughs) like electric lighting yeah uh, as soon as they turn on this light in the house like she's like shields her eyes because she's like oh what is this oh no or like a telephone they get a telephone and she's like what's this contraption like it's like my favorite little trope of the show oh my gosh yeah she sits in a swivel chair at one point it starts rotating on her and she's like what in tarnation <laughs> it's fantastic uh and she's so sassy she is just uh, all sass like if uh, sass were like uh was like a solid thing she'd be overflowing with it it's just coming out of her ears this sass she's like the uh the showstopper character. Uh-huh. She's the one that when she comes in, she just demands the room. She's fantastic. She wears huge body dresses and big hats. They all wear big hats. If they're not wearing hats, you're doing something wrong. Yeah, this is 1912, and this is the aristocracy. This is Victorian, very much so. They're 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 moving into the modern age, but there's still this classic flair for style, which is great. And then the last person to really point out is Cousin Matthew, which we've already gone into quite a bit. Mm-hmm. So he's he's kind of the... 
I think we've gone into him enough, but he is definitely going to factor into your story. Yeah. So that's the family. That's that's the main ones. Uh, there are other you know people who kind of come in and out and and other sort of distant relations that are here and there, but they're not important. Uh, the downstairs folks. This one is tricky because there are a lot of great characters, but if you're going to do a single scene, I I feel like you 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 got to do the upstairs people because they're yeah. they're the center of everything. Like the like, Dowager Countess is the downstairs be in my people story. are fun. I can tell you that. <laughs> oh, thank goodness. Yes. <laughs> She's gotta be. I mean, you can't give me a, a thing that has Maggie Smith in it and expect me not to rewrite it about that. <laughs> um, so, Andrew, I, I guess you tell me. Do we just give some names, say what they do for downstairs? Yeah, let's, let's go through a bit of the, the downstairs folks um, without going too much into the details, but sure. just kind of what they do and kind of a trait of theirs. So, um, Eric, you want to kick it off? Yeah, so... Uh, First and foremost, the two people who are in charge downstairs are Mr. Carson and Mrs. Hughes. Mr. Carson is the butler, and Mrs. Hughes is the housekeeper. Yeah, and then below them, um, Anna is the head housemaid. She's a very sweet person. Um, And then there's also uh, Thomas who is the head footman. Which he's is kind nasty. Of a, oh, he's so nasty. He is not he is, a sweet person. No, he is a very... What is a footman? He's a, goth, a footman? Ooh. Oh, goodness, we take that for granted. Of course he's a footman. Uh, so a footman, uh, so is a step below a butler. He's like a butler, but he's primarily... he. Um, if there are guests, he greets them at the front door. He takes them up to their rooms. Um, he serves at the dinner table. Yes. He's like a bellhop. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, they do a lot of uh, moving and lifting. Uh, They do a lot of polishing of silver, I've noticed. (laughs) Everybody's doing that. Uh But yeah, so a footman, so ladies, the the housemaids aren't allowed in like the dining room Mm -hmm. or like at like events up in the drawing rooms, the libraries and all that. The footman and Carson are the ones that are kind of on the front lines as far as guests go. Um, but For as sure. far as uh, dealing with the uh, the family themselves, um, Carson is kind of the uh, he's the the front lines for yeah, everything. So he's really where they cross over. Like everything kind of filters through Carson. Carson's great. Like if you're going to include any downstairs character in a scene with the upstairs character, it's gonna be it's gonna be Mr. Carson. Yep. And he's this old school guy. He's no nonsense. He's uh, he's he's a good guy. Like he's just solid, and he's he knows what's up. He's savvy, and he's uh, he's kind of a hard ass. How to, old is uh, he? The downstairs, uh, like fifties, fifties, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Same with mm-hmm. Mrs. Hughes. She's in her fifties, and then like Thomas would be in his thirties, early thirties, late twenties, somewhere yeah. in there. And uh, um, the only other, I guess, yeah, we mentioned Thomas. The only other person I really care to get into, I guess, is Mi- as uh, Miss O'Brien. O'Brien yeah. is uh, basically Thomas's co-conspirator in the downstairs of Downton. Um, they, Thomas and O'Brien, are outside smoking all the time. They just <laughs> go out and smoke together and talk talk crap about everybody else and conspire. They're gossipers. Oh my, they're mad gossipers. O'Brien is the handmaid 
hand handmade to uh, Lady Crawley, uh, to uh, Cora. So she gets a lot of the uh, the sweet gossip directly from the source, as it were, and feeds it down to Thomas. And so if you needed two two nasty characters, that's them right there, Thomas and O'Brien. Yep. And yeah, so um, just really quickly, if you are with like the daughters um, in their chambers, Anna, as I mentioned, she's the one to be there for them. She's very sweet. Um, and yep, dotes on the on the girls for sure. You know, I think uh, like there are others, but I don't want to get into it. No, you, we're good. We've given you so many already. <laughs> like I, I kind of just want you to run through what you got. Ask any questions you have. We'll see what we're missing. So first, up, what's the name of Matt's ballet? I didn't hear you. Uh, Matt's valet. Oh, uh, ooh, I don't remember. Oh, uh, Molesley. 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 Yeah. You said yeah. Matt. So I'm like, who's Matt? Matthew. It's Matthew. Young cousin Matthew. Cousin Matthew. Molesley. Like he's he's kind of a pathetic character. Uh, oh, he's oh. kind of Eeyore like. <laughs> really quickly, I just uh, almost forgot one of the best characters downstairs, Mister Bates. Oh, sure. Mr. Yep. Bates, in the first episode of Downton Abbey, he is the newcomer. He is the uh, personal valet to uh, to Lord Grantham. Personal valet to Robert. Um, and he is, surprise, surprise, got a gimpy leg, and he uses a cane. And that's not a great thing for a uh, characteristic for a valet to have, because it requires moving baggage and doing a lot of the same work that footmen do. Gotcha. So that's uh, that's that's some drama, but uh, Bates is a uh, stoic figure. He doesn't want to hurt anybody, um, and he's very conscious of his handicap. And he he is stubborn, and he thinks he can do his job. Uh, he has a he has a shady past that he doesn't like to talk about. But uh, another another other solid... than his uh, wartime with Robert, they fought in. Um... Oh, yeah, old oh, war buddies. I can't remember what they're old war buddies. So, that's some, how he got the some job. Old conflict. Yeah. So so that's that. You sorry. Continue continue the line of questions, Marcus. No, I think I just gotta recap this. Uh, yeah. I think I've already written a few thousand words here, so <laughs> <laughs> we'll see what I can actually do. All right. So in 1912, James Cameron got an idea for a movie. So he traveled back and exploded <laughs> a ship called the Titanic. Uh, which is great because it was a huge box office success and it also paved the way for the PBS BBC smash Downton Abbey which is all about the aristocracy in uh, Downton, Grantham and Yorkshire Downton Abbey is the name of the house but everyone just calls it Downton nobody knows what the Abbey's about the Earl (laughs) of Grantham is the head of the household Robert Crawley uh, deals with his wife, uh, who is the Lady Cora, the daughters, Mary, Edith, and Sybil, and the servants and other members of the aristocracy who pop about to see what's going on in Downton. Their big problem, the, the thing that's really frustrating them right now, is that the inheritance is uh, totally out of whack after the Titanic disaster because the heirs apparent are now dead. So they have to bring in old lawyer man Matthew, who's just a subtle man, who doesn't need any of the big fancy city conveniences. Um, <laughs> and so, of course, he brings his mother to live in this party house, Downton. 
and uh, <laughs> he's gonna ma- marry Lady Mary, uh, who is gonna marry someone on the Titanic. But she's against the whole idea of marrying anyone she doesn't love. So hopefully she can find love very fast, like Lord Robert did with Lady Cora. But not really expect it. Edith is very spiteful of Mary because of the line of suitors literally around the door. And Sybil is a debutante, and she's fighting for women's rights and uh, is the most intelligent, opinionated, forward-thinking person of the bunch. And then, of course, we have the Dowager Countess, old Robert's mm-hmm. mother, who is yes. blunt, direct, hates these newfangled gadgets, and wears big hats and dresses. She's sassy. <laughs> she's yes. made of sass. Uh... And then downstairs, we've got a bunch of people who we just talked about. (laughs) 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 Mr. Carson, who's the head butler. He's very old school, no nonsense. He's in his 50s. You have Mrs. Hughes, who's the head housekeeper. She's kind of the front lines for dealing with the women folk. Uh, You have Anna, who's going to deal with the daughters. She's a head housemaid. She's a sweet person, unlike some of these other servants who aren't as sweet, including Thomas, who's a very nasty man and goes and gossips with Miss O'Brien and they smoke, even though they probably shouldn't be smoking. Are they smoking the master's pipe? Mm. Uh, And then we have Mr. Bates, who's a newcomer and a valet to Robert. He has kind of a broken leg and he uses a cane, which makes it harder for him to do his job, but he's a war buddy and he's not going to complain about it. He's going to be stubborn and he has a shady past, which may or may not factor Mm. into deals to blow up the Titanic. I'm not sure. Oh, Uh, Maybe he has aims on Mary. Maybe that's what's going on here. (laughs) Uh, Oh, my goodness. That would be Uh, upsetting. Uh, No, that would would make me sad. So very, very old school, very formal, uh, very sexist. And Matthew doesn't know what to make of all this. He doesn't like it. He doesn't like being doted upon. And everyone is kind of careening towards a duty they can't avoid, but they don't want to do that. They want to follow their hearts. Mm-hmm. Very well put. Very good. Uh, so that's that's you got it. Any any final questions before so, we kick off? Uh, I have no idea what I'm going to write. Um, <laughs> All right. Yeah, I, potential I scenes could potentially write an upstairs scene. I think it's a good good move. Um, one thing that happens a lot in this house, which is always a big event, when somebody comes to visit. There are always visitors because when there are visitors, that means the the maids work harder because they're cleaning extra rooms. The footmen are working harder because they're moving baggage and, and taking care of the guests. They have to cook more food. Everything is happening when guests are there. So that's dukes and lords and earls and what have you. Make something up. It could be a suitor for Mary. And maybe uh, Matthew's jealous of the suitor because Mary likes that person more than him. I don't know. But maybe Mary does kind of like Matthew and doesn't want to admit it. Or, I don't know, that's kind of the sort of thing that happens. Yeah, setting it upstairs is the wise thing to do. Um, I mean, we focused on them more, so kind of go with that. It's going to be hard for me not to do a Doctor Who crossover, but I will resist (laughs) the urge. Uh... (laughs) The, the last thing I'll ask is just some of the flavor of it. We talked about sass. We talked about the, the gossip and the dynamic. What are some words that people say? So, first of all, regardless of the actual words that they say, everything that is said has a double meaning. It's, <laughs> That's it's good double enough. entendre, up the butt. It's, it's <laughs> hidden. It... <laughs> that was a single one. Uh-huh. Uh, everything is a veiled... Uh, something, something, you know. So that sass comes through uh, from a lot of characters indirectly. They say, you know, it's it's a it's a backhanded compliment 
all over the place. Got it. Um, Constantly. These are very, very uptight British people. They're never saying what they mean. Ever. Mm-hmm. So whatever uh, you, whatever you want them to say, tell them have them say the opposite. <laughs> so right. Andrew, I mean, just what's like a flavor of the actual language? I'm trying to figure out like how they talk because honestly, it's not too far off of modern. It's just very proper, and and I I know that uh, the show was criticized. Uh, by the UK audience who discerns this sort of thing, that the language isn't quite right for that sort of period. It's not quite proper enough. Mm-hmm. But their their excuse was, well, we get much better performances from our actors if we're not expecting them to speak all old-timey. That makes so a lot of sense. It, it does read very modern. It does. Yeah, I would say that it doesn't really feel much different other than the fact that it's said in very proper British accents. Oh, dear. For sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, so bonus points. Yeah, bonus oh points. Gosh, still bonus points. Let's do it. There's oh, still bonus let's points. Let's do it. So I'm just gonna keep it. So the Dowager's definitely gonna be in this. So the Dowager's got to get huffy about some piece of technology or the future. That's that I want. You got to do that. Got it for sure. Um, the mine is gonna be to do with Mary and Edith. Um, I need at no less than three occasions where uh, Mary and or Edith says a zinger to the other, a zinger, which mm-hmm. is then followed immediately by an even better zinger from the other. So Mary will say a zinger, Edith will <laughs> zing right back. And I tell you, Edith can zing with the best of them. All right. Three of those exchanges. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's tough. It's a big one. I am so excited for this, guys. Oh, believe you me. <laughs> oh, you're we excited. We are too. We we are excited. Uh, so so take off, scamper. Go, I, I, go. Will, I will retire to the drawing room. <laughs> oh, whereupon I will compose a story. You got it. You're already nailing it. Beautiful. Hey, podcast people, if you like subscribing to things, I highly suggest you subscribe to Sham Fiction. Even if you don't like subscribing, it's, it's a good habit to get into. Why? Because when you subscribe, you'll get a new episode of Sham Fiction delivered straight to your magical pocket device every single Sunday. If you're feeling generous, you could rate our show as well. Either way, subscribing on iTunes is the best way to tell us that you're listening to Sham Fiction, and that helps us out greatly. So thanks for listening to the show. I hope you're enjoying it. Let's get back to it. All right, while Marcus is writing, Andrew, let's uh, let's chat. Let's let, yep. let, lay it on me. What do you think we're going to hear from Marcus Mann today? So one thing that I'm not sure we hit on strongly enough, but I hope he kind of picks up on it due to the... I mean, we, we went on at length about this lovely, lovely property. So maybe he picked up on it just as we described the general conflicts and relationships between these people. But I want him to embrace the soap opera soap operaness of this show. Oh, sure. Yeah. Because that's what this show is at its heart. It's a soap opera... With the dressings of like a, a of a a prestige drama, you know, yeah. like but it's a it's it's a soap opera, but I love it. I mean, this is this is no, I, I don't I say this like it's a demeaning thing, but I love it. I still I absolutely <laughs> adore it. I think the show is so well written, but 
some of the the drama and it, it's it's just it's so steeped in melodrama and it's like guys you could get over any of this if you just maybe change the way you lived a little bit you know <laughs> it's not a so, choice andrew they're born like that i know they can't escape their lot I'm such a matthew they can't escape their station uh you know you say it's a soap opera but laura linney tells me that it's masterpiece <laughs> I don't know who to believe. Oh gosh, Laura isn't doesn't come on in the later seasons when you watch. Uh, like she so she doesn't welcome you to masterpiece classics, and it's such a disappointment. It just like she gets me into these episodes. Yeah, without Laura, where are we? <laughs> where are we? I'm so lost. Uh, when so, Isis's butt pops up, I'm like, oh no! <laughs> I'm like, oh no! Butt, dog butt. What am I watching? <laughs> Oh, fantastic! So your right, your what do you bonus, got? okay, your bonus. So, points so yeah, are, secret bonus. Let's see if he embraces the soap okay. opera qualities. Okay. Uh, I think because it's Marcus, I I I want to I want to think that he's going to come at this from a, a bit of a different perspective than the show is because the show is uh, it's so conservative. It's and it, and it does feel legitimately conservative uh, in that. Um, family values and king and country and all that sort of stuff are so steeped in this show. Um, I think Marcus is going to miss that a little bit. I think he's going to okay. give it kind of a liberal twist. And sure. you see both sides in the show, the conservative and liberal sides. And I think the show is, in a lot of ways, uh, it can be progressive about some issues. But oh, very much for so. the most part, it's it's old-timey and it's they love their tradition. So I'm gonna I'm gonna predict that Marcus is gonna give us a little bit of a liberal spin. So you think that he's going to just write from the point of view of just being aware of like just kind of because the show is aware of itself in some aspects. I think the way that it treats the the old timiness, but you think that he's going to maybe write it from like. Uh, perspective of removal is that kind of what you're thinking i would say so yeah like uh, maybe there's some ideas in there of giving up this this posh lifestyle for more of an egalitarian sort of society if he goes that way at all but it sounds absolutely barbaric uh uh-huh i I mean honestly i hope he doesn't get my bonus points but he'll get extra if he does that so let's bring him in and we'll see what he got yes Oh, hello, gentlemen. I'm ready to read the story I've been composing. <laughs> All right. Sounds delightful. That's a good way to kick it off. <laughs> Woo! Are you going to be doing that accent the whole time? I will be doing a bunch of different accents. I will try <laughs> oh, to do Lordy, one Lordy. accent, but it'll just shift. It'll slide around. It'll be uh, like I... more accents than a barrel of monkeys who are from different countries. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I, I hope that there's there's like a cameo at some point by one of our favorite British actors. <laughs> Sean Connery. <laughs> oh, Downton Abbey. <laughs> could spend a night or two there. The Countess and I go way back. <laughs> that was terrible. Okay, yes. It was, it Never was do terrible. that. It's just uh, an example of the awfulness that (laughs) awaits you. You know, there will be another new episode next week, listeners. So if you want to turn off now, that's fine. (laughs) Uh, All right, guys. Downton Abbey coming at you. Are you ready for this? 
Yes, uh, indeed. As ready as I will be. You're cranking your old-fashioned TV knob to PBS. <laughs> and here we go. Downton was burning. The world was over and everyone was going to die. Or at least that's what one would believe if they were to listen to Mary's incessant prattling. Yes, Edith had seen smoke. Yes, Edith had seen smoke when she had been rousted out of bed in the middle of the night by Miss O'Brien's hollering alarm. But as Anna had been quick to explain, the fire was merely the result of a spark from the new electrical wiring and would soon be contained. There was nothing to be concerned about, and the women of Downton were merely being kept in the dining room as a precaution while the men set about putting out the fire. Edith wished that Anna had been allowed to take shelter with them, but propriety deemed that she wait outside. Though it was hard to speak of propriety... When Edith, Merrill, Sybil, and their mother were all huddled around the faint candlelight in their nightclothes. I imagine this is what those poor souls felt like on the RMS Titanic, Mary droned. Trapped in the face of impending doom, with nothing they could do to escape. I only hope that father is alright. Your father is well, my dear, no need to worry, mother said. She placed a hand on Mary's shoulder, but it slid off as Mary began to pace. And cousin Matthew, Mary said. What if something were to become of him? Edith thought she saw a flicker of a smile in the candlelight. She couldn't have that. <laughs> I imagine you would have to find something other than your proposed nuptials to complain about, Edith said. If only you had yourself for a sister, you could start there. That is quite enough, Edith, Mother said. Your sister is clearly distraught and your attitude isn't helping. I don't suppose you would like to turn to the subject of your marriage, would you? Have you seen any suitors of late? Edith bit her tongue. But Mary didn't hesitate. I would say it's possible the fire scared them off, but I must confess I didn't see any even waiting for you before tonight. Oh, worry (laughs) not, sister. For I have my whole life to find a man of my choosing, though I do appreciate your concern. Mother smiled at that. (laughs) Unable to tell how much the subject of choice infuriated Mary. There we are, Mother said. Nice and civil. Now, why don't you two look after your sister while I go and see if the fire's been extinguished? Edith glanced over to Sybil, who seemed utterly unconcerned with the proceedings. She had a book with her and was squinting close to see it in the limited light. The electric lights were off limits until the cause of the fire was found. Are you sure you'll be safe, Mother? Mary cried. The servants stress the importance of us staying here. I don't like to defer to their judgment, but they are worldly in their way, and danger goes along with that. (laughs) I won't have servants telling me where I can and cannot go in my own home. I don't much care for the military policies that Mr. Bates has brought with him, and your father seems to be caught right up in them as well. I shall have a word with Mr. Carson and see if he can bring the staff back in line. But why did you even come if you weren't afraid? Mary complained. I had to check on my three precious daughters, Mother said. If it makes you feel better, I'll have Mrs. Hughes accompany me. Is she waiting outside as well? Edith said. Indeed, Mother replied. The maids must be present to ensure that the fire doesn't get in, and glances at my girls in their nightclothes don't get out. I would be mortified (laughs) if Thomas were to be thinking of the three of you in here the next time he decided to polish the silver. (laughs) Edith was glad there wasn't enough light in the room for anyone to see her blushing, though she wondered if Mary was blushing as well. Sybil seemed oblivious as she continued her reading. Thank you for looking out for us, Mother. Edith said, and Mother took her leave of the room. Mary glared at Edith for a moment when they were alone with Sybil. Trying to think of something clever to say, Edith said, seizing on the silence. 
I understand that generally when you are up this late and scarcely dressed, words aren't of the utmost importance to you. (laughs) At least I don't have to rely on words to bring a man to bed, Mary said. They're willing to come without coercion or proof of my title. Such a shame for you, then, that you are to marry Cousin Matthew, closing the door once and for all to all of your callers. It'll be like a lighthouse burning out, leaving the men of Grantham without an easy harbor. A bit like your Titanic, I suppose. Sailors blind in the night. <laughs> a blind a blind sailor would seem right up your alley, sister. I'm not surprised that was your first thought, or should I say first hope? <laughs> Sometimes, said Edith, I wonder if you are blind, or just as egalitarian as our dear Sybil. The men you allow to court you are a strange lot indeed. Who is the man with the bow tie and the red fez hat who came to call? He was accompanied by that tall Scottish woman. I'm sure he wasn't of high station. He... He... Mary said. He, he said he was a healer or a physician or... Some sort of doctor? That was it, yes. A doctor. Well, what a great coincidence. As you know, Cousin Matthew's late father was a doctor. Perhaps you can introduce him to your suitor and they can compare notes on the noble field of medicine. Though I know your understanding of the profession can be entirely summed up by laying down and telling men where it hurts. If you care to play nurse, I'm sure you can ask Aunt Matthew's mother about it when she returns from the city in a fortnight. I should have paid Miss O'Brien not to wake you, Mary said in a whisper. The door to the dining room closed with a loud thud. Edith had been so wrapped up in her exchange with Mary that she hadn't even heard it open. That will be quite enough, (laughs) came her grandmother's voice. The Dowager Countess had entered the room resplendent in a full evening gown and a matching blue hat. No wonder she had taken so long to arrive. Of course, it came as no surprise to Edith that even a fire wouldn't prevent her grandmother from dressing in her finest. She would likely rather burn than seem improper. (laughs) I have heard you two snapping at each other for all your lives, and I will not hear it this night. I took my servants a full quarter of an hour to dress me, and I will not sleep for se- yet for some time. I am not <laughs> going to have you your bickering, bickering echoing in my mind tonight as I attempt to return to rest. Am I clear? Yes, Grandmother, Edith and Mary said in unison. Mary, you are going to wed Cousin Matthew. You may not like it, it may burn at you, but it is your duty to this family. It is as inevitable as these horrid electric lights spreading throughout the once civilized world. (laughs) I've never heard of a candle in Downton starting a fire like tonight. I swear this progress will be the death of us all. (laughs) You see, sister, Edith began, but grandmother turned on her at once. And you, said grandmother, would do well to respect your sister. I won't always be around to fight your battles, and when she inherits, you'll need her help to survive. I don't expect you'll want to rely on your looks alone. Yes, Grandmother, Edith said. There was no argument. Grandmother had a way of saying deep truths that hurt more in her mouth than they could ever hurt in one's mind. And finally, Sybil. I dare say you should put away that book. You are to be a debutante now, and reading is unbecoming of young women whose suitors would rather think they are devoid of thought and seeing. I know you want to vote eventually, but until then you'll have to live in reality. To Edith's surprise, Sybil closed her book. She never could figure that girl out. That lamb, grandmother said. 
Now, are there any other problems I could solve? Or can we sit in peace for a spell? Edith took a chair next to her two sisters and her grandmother, and pondered on the exchange. She had spent so much time bemoaning the fact that she wasn't like her perfect, beautiful older sister, that she hadn't spent any time figuring out who she would like to be like. Now she had a clue, and when the smoke cleared, she knew the first thing she was going to do. She was going into town, and she was going to buy a fabulous blue hat. <laughs> the- <laughs> <laughs> thing was i forgot about the cameo i threw in there <laughs> yeah i could tell you were pleased <laughs> oh you know you know we love the 10th doctor oh gosh that just hurts because yeah. he's the 11th oh is he <laughs> let's take that back i'm gonna take that line again yep take that again you we'll know. cut all this out yeah yeah you know we what's like wait for the wait. doctor <laughs> i'm not actually gonna cut it out i'm kidding that's hilarious oh god an a-, an a mention of amy pond in there too that's i, I had to always good <laughs> oh boy guys late 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 on me <laughs> oh jeez. so i'm gonna say to- right away yeah. that i was interested to see that you took it from edith's perspective mm. that I, I, I wasn't sure you were going to take a specific perspective, considering we have so many characters to go from. I thought there was going to just be the storyteller, you know, the, the that just kind of oversaw everybody, whether or not we dove into their head or not. I, I, I don't know. I guess that's immediately what I thought you were going to do. So I was really uh, surprised and pleasantly surprised to that you took a character to to go with. That was that was really cool and just hearing inside her head was was really cool yeah Eric, cool. I think it, was a, it was a good choice to use edith she's a good viewpoint character because she is the butt of so many jokes she's a she's a very much a sympathetic character in the show because although she can be nasty you know that everybody's basically on mary's side and everyone kind of just treats edith like she's not there so that's so I think it's a good choice for a viewpoint character because you can have that sympathy. Like oh that backhanded compliment from the Dowager Countess about not being able to rely on her looks. That was that was cool. <laughs> oh man. That was perfect. Spot it was so good on. Um, that thing happens to Edith all the time. Oh yeah. Like nobody's trying. Well, actually I, I shouldn't say that. Half the time people aren't trying to put her down, but they do anyway. Very sad. Uh, this was this was interesting. You uh, you gave us a little like slice of life uh, from from this story. Like it wasn't necessarily a full story, like beginning, middle, end. There wasn't any large arcs, but it was just kind of like let's take a, a few moments from this episode and see what's going on. And I liked it. It was a good choice. Very good. It was fun. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, I. Uh, you know, one of the bonus points that uh, Eric gave you was regarding the quips between oh the sisters. My God. And man, did you nail that? <laughs> I mean, I was I was really looking forward to to you doing that, and you that those were great. <laughs> that was so much fun. This back and forth. I I mean, that felt that felt right. Yeah, that felt good. I I, uh, I was trying to keep track. Like I had a little uh, 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 zinger counter going. <laughs> And after like the fourth or fish ha- like fifth hash, I just lost count. So I think you got the points. <laughs> very, very good. Yeah, and then of course, the showstopper coming into the room, the one and only Dowager Countess, which 
was fantastic. Did you like that? You <laughs> that like was... you like that, Andrew? Oh, I loved it. I love her so much. Just it 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 tickled me. I, I assume um, that it's just Maggie Smith in your head performing the lines. Oh, absolutely. Okay. Like Marcus is reading them, but they're being filtered through <laughs> right. some sort of <laughs> My ears, let's just say. I just hear everybody is making smell. Just everybody's like, oh, all the time. Um, But that was a lot of fun. And I felt like that character, the way that you you created her, she was like a distillation of what she is on the show. Um, Hmm. I think it was kind of like greatest hits. Like, that's what it kind of played like in that moment. Just like, bam, 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 telling it like it is. Because she does that. Kind of like once per episode, she kind of has her moment where she kind of like does the no nonsense wisdom of her, you know, like her experience and all that. Sometimes it's way off course, which you like you you did. Sometimes it's right, but in this case, it was just like bang, 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 and that was really cool because <laughs> it was right on. It was spot on. Yeah, Marcus, tell us, tell us about your process. Oh boy, give us a peek well, into your mind. Yeah, I'm happy to happy to talk about it. I will have you know, I mentioned every damn character you threw at me, except for Mosley, oh. the valet. Uh, That's okay. You did good. That's really good. Mosley isn't even at Downton. He's down at the other house. So it's so perfect. That yeah. made sense. So I, uh, <laughs> you gave me just so, so many characters to work with. <laughs> It, it, I didn't even notice it, it was effortless. It was smooth, smoothly Thank done. Thank you. So they, they were all there, all the upstairs and downstairs um, <laughs> were at least mentioned. So um, I had difficulty figuring out how to do this because, like you said, Eric, you were, you were very astute that this wasn't just a contained story arc. And the reason for that, although I did have it be around a decision point for Edith, mm-hmm. realizing that the sniping's not the way to go was because I wanted to give a breadth of these characters. And any scene that I had was going to involve a lot of different characters. I did consider doing a Thomas and Miss O'Brien scene, just having them gossip about the people, because that mm-hmm. would have been a good way to make it concise. That would have been fun. But uh, it was just too much of an opportunity to have Edith and Mary sniping at each other. I, I wanted those bonus points. So that's where I decided to build the scene. Uh, Dowager Countess comes in at the end a lot like the president at the end of the first episode of The West Wing. <laughs> that's what I was going yeah, for. <laughs> absolutely. That's good. It's really good. I'm glad. Was that So that was in your head, like as you were writing it, kind of inspired by that? Uh, yeah, it was just like, it, I, I knew that she was going to come in and sum it up. I wasn't thinking how much like the West Wing that was until I just read it now. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's the same the same purpose. You have someone who's wiser, and if they were there earlier on, the conflict wouldn't have been able to exist because they would have shut it down or given counsel earlier. So I wanted mm-hmm. to bring that in at the end. Um, also okay. like Dumbledore in the, the Harry Potter series where he says, oh, this is what everything you just did over the past year is. <laughs> Um, so, yeah, that's how I decided on that. I wanted Downton to be on fire to give the Dowager <laughs> Countess, uh, a thing to complain about the technology. That was the first thing I thought of. That's great. I, I gotta jump in here and say that I was so freaked out from that first line. You scared the poop <laughs> oh, out of me. man. Because I thought it was gonna be apocalyptic Downton. <laughs> 
Like, I immediately, first thing that came into my head was just Downton on fire, and, like, I was like, oh, God, he's, what is he doing? What is he doing? <laughs> I, thought, I thought I'd be good after doing Fifty Shades so far off the mark, and actually, actually do this one. No, it uh, seemed appropriately Marcus-like to just burn the house to the ground. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I, I had to have the Doctor cameo. Uh, oh, jeez. I was. I took my inspiration from uh, Mary Robinette Kowal. She does a series of uh, like Victorian fantasy books, and she has an unnamed Doctor cameo in every one of them. That's fantastic. <laughs> That's cool. So I thought if I'm writing, you know, period England, I'm gonna have the Doctor show up. Oh, That's awesome. God, he shows up in period England. It's like one of his favorite. T- yeah, places it's to what be. they can afford to do on the BBC. <laughs> We already have these costumes lying around. Yeah. <laughs> we have all this England around us. Uh, Everything looks gosh. like Cardiff. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay. So one of, and I can't recall if we described this or not, so you'll have to correct me if I'm wrong. Sure. But one of my favorite, favorite inconsistencies that was <laughs> in this was mentioning yep. thomas uh-huh. as like ogling the women like don't want thomas to be thinking of you next time he's polishing the silver <laughs> thomas yeah. is gay yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah, we didn't describe him as gay I, but, I th- but yeah i guess we missed that yeah but no. I th- it, it, it was so great oh. <laughs> i know that tickled me too well what's great too is that although they never come out and say that because it wouldn't be proper to say that sort of thing everybody totally knows yeah. So, so oh, nobody yeah. would would accuse Thomas of peeping on the women. Oh, that's great. Uh, it's fantastic. You know what my favorite inconsistency was from the show is uh, when Edith and Mary were going back and forth about their gentleman callers. Oh <laughs> man, it, the, in Downton Abbey, everyone is virgins forever oh. I- until marriage. There's no sneaking around. Well, in the show, some well, something happens with Mary. But yeah, it's this, unexpected. She doesn't, yeah. Uh, no. Anyway. But that is not part of the uh, set of behavior for these characters. So I love that they're just gabbing on about the men they they are luring into their bed. It's so good. <laughs> uh, so funny. Oh, my goodness. Mm-hmm. Um, good. Man. But the again, with the Dowager stuff... Again, it felt very much like, um, like like everything that I want, you know, condensed down into those moments. Um, essence of Dowager. The, the, the things that... It, definitely the essence of Dowager, yes. Um, the, the points that you brought up were so perfect. Like, when she uh, cursed out Sybil for reading, and the reason behind that... I'm pretty positive that happens at one point. <laughs> I, I, I mean, maybe not she calling Sybil out. I think it, just somebody at some point calls out one of the girls for reading because it's like she's not. They don't. They're not into you for your brains. <laughs> <laughs> so I that just felt that was very Downtony. That was good. Oh, good. Um, God, you know, it's funny though because Andrew, you love the Dowager Countess in this. I, I was I made a note that I was just like man she's so like commandeering because uh, to me in the show she's so like she's there to provide like this backhanded commentary but she doesn't have any control because 
it's, it's not her place anymore. She is no longer the Lady Grantham necessarily because that's Korra. So it was it was different. I mean, I liked it, don't get me wrong, but just as far as pointing out differences between this and the actual show, I felt she Man, was a I little stronger. I would disagree stronger. with that. I would disagree with that. Oh, sorry, Marcus, go ahead. Uh, yeah, I was just going to say, uh, what you said, Eric, you struck on something that I considered when I was writing. The place that she has being no longer the lady of the house. Mm-hmm. Um, that was why I was very deliberate that I sent the mother out before she came in. Sure, no, it was a good call if you wanted mm-hmm. to bring her in in that sort of role. I think it worked. Uh, and I liked it. It just, I don't, I didn't feel it was exactly the same as sure. Andrew thought. No, that's interesting. No, I disagree because that character, she may not have control and title at this point, but she definitely has control over these people. She has kind of, she's really manipulative. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. I mean, she's blunt. She can definitely be blunt, but she can also be manipulative and she gets what she wants. Um, maybe not all the time. Definitely not all the time, but she still has control over that house. Sure. So, yeah, no, it was good. But, uh, so, a few things, uh, secret, secret Ooh. bonus points. Um, so, I wanted you, I, I couldn't remember how much we went into, like, the soap opera nature of this. I don't know, maybe <laughs> that kind of, like, irked, you know, eked out just from us describing what the show was about. But, man, I think, uh, I think you hit on that. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, you, you made it very much a soap opera. So, that, you definitely got those secret points for Andrew. Yes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> My uh, secret bonus points wasn't necessarily something that I thought you were going to get. Uh, it was just a, a guess at your approach. Oh, I had sure. said that uh, that perhaps you were going to be a little subvert subversive and uh, kind of uh, make the characters more progressive than they are in the show because they're, everyone is very conservative in the show there's not a lot of liberal characters and the liberal characters tend to be outsiders so mm-hmm. i thought maybe they'd be a little more uh progressive than they are in the show but no they were perfectly uh demure perfectly con- uh conservative so you don't get my secret bonus points but i'm perfectly okay with that excellent <laughs> yeah so for a uh i think we ought to give you a final score yeah let's hear it uh, so I'm trying to think of a good metric. Uh, one <laughs> one of uh, the things I talk about a lot are hefty dowries in the show. <laughs> so I would say uh, out of the entire dowry, uh, you would get, let's say, I'm going to give you a 55% of the dowry. I gotta say, I, I'm pleased with what you did here, but I wasn't uh, I wasn't thrilled. So you're getting just over half. I didn't want to marry you anyway, so yeah, that's fine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh no, oh no, <laughs> it's heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm gonna be uh, I'm gonna be a little more friendly because I this 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 uh, <laughs> this <laughs> made me very happy. <laughs> um. I'm going to give you seven uh, big frilly dowager hats out of ten. Um, I mean, I should probably be upping that to 70 out of 100 because, I mean, who are we kidding? She's got a lot of those hats. That's, a, that's, a, that's an order of magnitude. <laughs> <laughs> got a ten, ten times it. Uh, that's fantastic. Man. And, and, and I right. don't mean to seem like a downer, Marcus, 
uh, a downtoner. A down, a, a down to noun downter. <laughs> uh, but you you did good, but it was that lack of story for me that mm-hmm. there wasn't much of a arc going on. Um, it was just characters sitting in a room talking. You did a great job at the banter. Loved all of it, but I could have used some more story. So, just to explain myself, so I don't seem like just the dick. <laughs> <laughs> the listeners right now is like that Eric he's a dick I think, I think you could easily knock off half my points for my poor attempt at a posh accent oh no <laughs> I loved your voices <laughs> alright well, thank well you guys. Eric uh, will you tell us where we can get this where where, where can we find yeah, it so uh, I've been watching it on Amazon it's, it's currently for free on Amazon Prime whoa yeah, and uh, unfortunately for the fans of Downton like myself, uh, the series is over. They just they just had us yep. the the finale just happened, so no more premieres. Uh, but you can check it out on Amazon and maybe PBS reruns. Yeah, I mean, other than you know any other place. Yeah, I guess it's on, it's on Amazon Prime. You can get it on Amazon. Yeah, so, for sure. Yeah. Like I said, if you're a Prime member, you get to watch it for free. Oh yeah, it's the best. It's, all of it. It's all there. Yeah, check it out. Except it's for a lot of fun, season. except for season two, which I think is crap. Andrew disagrees. Uh, that's a whole other argument. Uh-huh. But it gets better. But anyway, uh, check it out. Downton Abbey, uh, made by Julian Fellows. He's a lovely, lovely individual. Check out the show. <laughs> uh, any any final thoughts from you guys? Also, also check out uh, check out Doctor Who. Uh, <laughs> the BBC. Very good. There you go. Very uh, good. If if you didn't get the reference, the guy in the bow tie with the fez hat was the eleventh Doctor, uh, played by Matt Smith. His companion Amy Pond was cool. also available. Um, so I don't know what they were up to in, in Downton Abbey, but come on, who doesn't want to see that? Oh, it's beautiful. All right, thanks everybody for listening. We're gonna have another wonderful episode for you next week. So stay tuned, and we'll see you next time. Bye, guys. Ta-ta! Or cheerio. Sham Fiction is produced by Two Jackets Productions, which is Eric Carlson, Marcus Mann, and Andrew Neal. Special thanks to Reed Reimer for providing the music. For a full list of episodes and to read this week's fiction, visit shamfiction.com. Follow us on Twitter at ShamFiction, and please, don't forget to subscribe and rate the show. ShamFiction. Write what you don't know. Greetings, Earthlings. I mean, ShamFiction listeners. Andrew here. For next week's show, I want to believe that Eric can ShamWrite a great piece about one of the most influential television shows of all time that he somehow has not seen. But who knows? Perhaps he has seen it. Perhaps he just doesn't remember. Perhaps his memories were erased by the government, or a mysterious organization, or visitors from another world. Keep an eye on the sky, folks, because the truth is out there. Next time on Sham Fiction.